Welcome back to NC Realtors Redefine, the NC Realtors podcast. On this episode of Redefine, My name is Fred Moreno. I am Chief Deputy Legal Counsel here at the North Carolina Real Estate Commission. We'll talk a little bit about um, risks and uh, risk management of what we see, at least here with the commission. But first. Do you have feedback on a story or topic that you'd like to hear covered on this podcast? Then give NC Realtors Redefine a call at 336-550-4437. When leaving your voicemail, be sure to tell us your name and where you're from. Your comments may be used on a future episode of NC Realtors Redefined. My name is Fred Moreno. I am Chief Deputy Legal Counsel here at the North Carolina Real Estate Commission. We'll dive right in. We'll talk a little bit about um, risks and uh, risk management of what we see, at least here with the commission. Uh, One of the first topics I would like to discuss is something the commission has really noticed an uptick with in this current market, uh, and that is renovated properties uh, and properties that a lot of buyers go in, purchase and do some remodel work and in a sense, flip the property and then sell it um, within a few months without even taking any um, ownership of it as far as moving in or living there, uh, just purely an investment property that they plan to remodel, flip and make a profit. Um, A lot of times these buyers and sellers, in a sense, are using the same agent. They'll use an agent to help them buy the property. And then after they finish the renovations, they'll use that same agent to list the property for them. There's nothing wrong with that. Of course, as you know, you have to have a a buyer agency agreement the first time and then a listing agency agreement um, the second time. But the problem that we're seeing is a lot of times uh, buyers will purchase these flipped properties and then find out later on that the seller never pulled permits or they may have even hired a contractor who didn't pull permits and the local municipality required permits to be pulled for various things. Uh, Obviously the commission, we do not define what needs to be, uh, what permits are required. That will be a local municipality question. Uh, They differ throughout the state. Some of them say if you move the plumbing or if you don't move it, or if you do certain tweaks to it, it's not required. Others say if you do the smallest tweak to the property, it is required to pull a permit. So you need to be very careful and understand your local municipality and what they require. As a broker, uh, your duties are not necessarily to know what needs to be permitted, but you need to be asking the questions. Um, So when your seller comes to you and says, hey, I would like to advertise this property that I just did a complete renovation on, then listing agents, you need to ask your seller, what did you do? Uh, Can you provide me the uh, work orders for the remodeling of the kitchen or the foundation or what have you? And did you use licensed professionals where they required to be used um, for certain circumstances? Was it a licensed electrician, licensed plumber, those kinds of things? Or was it a handyman that came in and said he knows everything and he can do it uh, for for less money as as is often the case? You just need to be wary of that. Those are things that would be material facts that would need to be disclosed uh, if permits were required and they were not pulled. 
also what we're seeing is the question, there's been some question about, do we need a general contractor to be used in some of these renovations? I think it used to be a $30,000 threshold. If I'm not mistaken, I think it's been lowered to 20,000 now uh, under some new legislation. But it's important to take a look at, um, I believe it's still 30,000, excuse me. There was some talk of moving it down. The statute for general contractors is North Carolina General Statute 87-1. And when you take a look at that, there is an exception to that $30,000 requirement if uh, if the owner is inside the property or lives in the property. There is an exception under subsection B2, which says any person, firm, or corporation who constructs or alters a building on land owned by that person firm or corporation, provided that the building is intended solely for occupancy by that person, firm or corporation, uh, that complies with 87-14. If the building is not occupied solely by the person and his family, which is often the case with flips, right? They're not taking possession of the property. Um, For at least 12 months following completion, that's completion of the renovation, not when you purchase it, but when the renovation is completed, um, then it shall be presumed that that person is not intending to occupy that property where their family is. So that's the exception, right? If they are occupying the property, if they do $30,000 worth of renovations, then they have to live in the property for a period of 12 months from the completion of the renovation. That's the exception. If those are not in place, General statute says you need a general contractor. So those are questions that we expect listing agents, the commission expects listing agents to ask uh, when these properties are flips. On the other side of it, as a buyer agent, if you are going to look at a property that is being advertised as a whole house renovation or major renovations completed by the seller, Again, the duty on you is to discover and disclose as well. You need to ask those questions to the listing agent hey, what, what was done? What did the seller do? Were permits required? Um, you give a phone call to the municipality and say, this is what I'm told was done. Are you aware if permits need to be pulled or were they pulled in this case? Uh, do your due diligence for your clients. Also, as a buyer's agent, a lot of times you may be dealing with FHA, the um, lending. And in these particular cases, they also have a stipulation a lot of people are aware of that say there must be a 90-day 90-day ownership requirement uh, for that loan to be, you know, approved in this case. Again, if it's a flip, I, I don't know that the person's going to be there for 90 days um, or own it for 90 days at, within the time that they do the conversion and everything and the remodeling. So you need to be wary of that. In this market, it's it's also slowed down a bit, I think, as far as the astronomical due diligence fees we have seen. Um, the playing field's kind of leveled out a bit. I know every market is different, but there is still a lot of due diligence money in play in these contracts. So you need to be very careful to dot your I's and cross your T's, whether you're the buyer agent or the listing agent in these cases. Right. I mean, 10 years ago, if due diligence fee was five hundred dollars and and somebody backed out and they felt that the seller didn't disclose something or the agent didn't disclose something, they may not pursue that in court because it's going to cost them for a lawyer if they get representation more than the five hundred dollars. And it's not worth chasing that. 
In these days, if you're talking about $5,000, $10,000, $15,000 in earnest money or due diligence, that's something that they might take a look at. Um, so listing agents, you need to make sure that you are listing your properties correctly. Uh, you need to make sure that you're making the disclosures. Go over that disclosure form with the seller. Uh, and if the seller is putting no on a number of things, you know, that's fine. But again, ask the questions and verify certain things. You know, we put down, this is on a septic. Um, are you sure it's not city water or sewer? Can I take a look at your utility bill just to make sure? Because a lot of times it'll show. Sometimes it can be confusing in certain municipalities. They may have city water, right? But they may be on septic for sewer. So taking a look at that utility bill is always a good thing to do. Uh, I believe when you're when you're listing the property, um, because you know if a seller or a purchaser backs out and says these were not disclosed, and you're talking ten thousand dollars of due diligence money on the table, um, they're going to figure out a way to back out of that contract and recoup all of their money, and they will do that by nitpicking at any misrepresentation and misrepresentation or omission of material fact that either the seller or the listing agent uh, failed to disclose. Buyer agents on the flip side here, uh, you need to have your conversations with your buyer clients and explain to them about the due diligence process in North Carolina. Especially in this market, I know in the triangle area with the number of jobs that are coming here with different companies, there's a lot of out of state people coming to this area. Uh, with them, they come with their escrow fees and things like that, terminology that we typically do not use in North Carolina. Uh, so you need to explain to them what North Carolina's process is here because yes, it is different than many other states in this country. They may not understand the due diligence process and that if they back out for any reason or no reason, they may lose that money. We've had complaints from people that say, my, my agent never told me, I thought I could get it back. It was I thought it was a deposit. Um, so make sure that you're covering yourselves and having these conversations and letting them know, letting your buyer clients know this money is off the table if you back up, back out, potentially, unless there's any kind of omission or misrepresentation. Um, and again, if they're asking you if they should pursue this, do not be a lawyer. Do not try to give them legal advice. Just refer them to an attorney um, and have them take their contract there and tell them the attorney can advise you whether you know, what your rights or remedies are under the contract. That's what the commission would expect uh, the agents to do in these kinds of transactions. With this market, I'll say my, the third thing that we're really seeing is uh, properties that go on the market, a buyer comes in, has a home inspection performed. On the inspection, it's revealed a number of material issues, whether it's, uh, you know, a leaky faucet, um, if there's a leak in the roof, some issues with the foundation, water in the crawl space, any of those things. Um, and they just decide that they want to terminate or they can't come to an agreement with the seller to lower the price or do any repairs. So they terminate. And then the listing agent goes and puts the, mar the, the, the property right back on the market. Another buyer, another buyer comes in, has another home inspection, finds the same issues, and terminates. And these buyers are paying, again, due diligence fees to take these properties off the market, uh, and they're not getting these back. The issues here, again, are what the listing agent knows or should have known. Uh, listing agents, if the 
buyers or their agents are sending you a DDRA, a due diligence repair addendum, a lot of times on that, they are explaining what the findings are in some of their home inspection reports, even if you don't get a copy of those home inspection reports. A lot of times it has been, what I've seen is the policy of a lot of the buyer agents is they will send a copy of that inspection report to the listing agents, say, here it is, and just reference subsection 1.1 or 2.5 or what have you. Now the listing agent has a copy of that inspection report. Um, now you know of these issues. So as a listing agent, what you need to do is understand, look at the inspection report, give it to your client, your seller client, have them look it over and say, okay, these are the issues. The buyer is terminating. Um, so now, before we market this property or before another offer comes in, I as a listing agent need to disclose to that buyer agent and that buyer any material issues that were on this inspection report that were not uh, that were not repaired by the seller. If the seller says, okay, Mr. Listing Agent, I looked at this inspection report when we took the house off the market, I fixed all these things. Um, the commission would not expect the listing agent to say, oh, okay, that's great. Let me just relist it. We would expect the listing agent again, ask the questions, well, who repaired it? Do you have work orders for those repairs? Just to verify that things were done and if a licensed person needed, you know, was required in those cases, that would be a material issue as well. Or did the handyman do that, right? Um, so if those issues are not repaired that were on that inspection report, then those must be disclosed uh, to another buyer at the time that an offer is made. Uh, a lot of times what I've seen uh, listing agents do is they they get a copy of this and they also attach it as an attachment to the listing. If they're listing in an MLS, for example, uh, after a buyer backs out. And then that can also help you to make a full disclosure of those issues. So again, be careful with those renovated properties with the flips, be careful with the due diligence fees and explaining as to what they are. Uh, be careful with the houses coming back on the market after a termination and making sure of what you know or should know as material issues have been cured or making those disclosures to the new buyers. Also, when you do that in the, in the example of a termination and relisting, now that the seller has a copy of that inspection report, listing agents need to also have those conversations with the seller and say, hi, you, you know, you now you know some issues that you may have not known before. So now you either need to repair them or you also need to correct your disclosure form. Because remember, the disclosure form is sort of this living document. It lives throughout the transaction. It may be filled out at the very beginning of the listing. But if anything changes or anything is found out during the investigation of due diligence or during the investigation, that seller has a duty to correct that disclosure form and make it accurate. Okay. But they also have the option to put no representation if they had put no. Uh, but as a broker, you still are under our license law duty to disclose, even if the seller puts no representation and you know or should know about a material issue, you must still make that disclosure to the buyer at that time. Those are the three main things that we've seen, especially in this market with those issues. Now I'm gonna sort of move into how do you assess this risk in your firm with your agents, okay? Number one is, is big supervision, 
And I'm looking at you, Bix, right? Brokers in charge. You are the workhorse. You are the end-all be-all with the firms, so to speak. And this particular commission has now, you know, has asked us as, as the prosecuting attorneys, if you will, to really look at cases to see, especially when we're talking about advertising and material facts are not being disclosed or they're being misrepresented. Advertising under our rules also falls under the broker in charge as the responsibility of the broker in charge. So we're looking at these cases now and adding a lot more of the broker in charge um, people assigned to this, even if it was a full broker, not necessarily a provisional broker that may have done the omission or, or misrepresentation on the listing. We are now looking to add more BICs because the BICs are responsible for the this advertising. What are we going to look for? Um, well, as BICs, we're going to ask you, what's your firm policy? What's your training, right? What, what are you training your agents regarding materiality of issues? What's your education? What education are you are you trying to provide for your brokers in addition to their 12-hour CEs so that they really fully understand um, these material issues with these properties? We're going to ask you about your firm policies regarding your review of documents. Mr. Bick, Mrs. Bick, what are you reviewing with these agents when they advertise these properties? Uh, are you looking at their agency agreements when they fill these out or the discussions they're having with their clients? We're also going to look at firm policies for side businesses. Um, it, it might be a, a good idea. We've seen cases, um, and this is a very good issue with managing risk as far as a firm or broker in charge, is I've had cases where brokers are in a sales firm that all they do is sales. But this broker, full broker, has a friend who wants them to manage their property. And so what do they do? They execute a property management agreement in the name of the firm, unbeknownst to the big. Um, and, of course, they don't have a trust account. They, they don't follow our trust account guidelines. They, they're just trying to do a favor for a friend. And I've seen a lot of issues occur there. And if that happens, we will look at the BIC again and say, hey, what supervision are you doing? Did you know that your broker, even though you're in a sales firm, is managing this other property and they're not compliant with our trust account rules? And they signed the firm name. Oh, and by the way, the broker in charge is also responsible for trust account issues, right? Trust account maintenance of the firm. So these are the things that I've seen firms put in place in their employment agreements to say you are not to have a side business, or if you are, it needs to be approved by the BIC or the qualifying broker and those kinds of things. So that might be something if you don't have in your firm policies, you, you may want to add. Also, we've seen um, some issues, especially with the culture, the way it is now, the political environment, the way it's been for, for a few years. Uh, people are very outspoken. Uh, they like to take to Facebook. They like to take to Twitter. They go on Instagram. And they may do a rant about a political, um, they may about something political, then about comment about something that the Supreme Court has decided on, um, or anything, what have you, anything going on in their community. And it's it has unfortunately put a lot of firms and bigs in hot water because they say this your broker is saying this, albeit not during a real estate transaction but there's still a representation of your firm. Uh, I believe that the Association of Realtors has sort of that code of ethics that may encompass that. Uh, 
But I've also seen some firms where they've created policies to disallow their agents uh, from speaking on certain issues. It's a little bit different when a private organization or an employer is trying to do that, whereas us as the commission, a state government entity where you get into First Amendment rights and freedom of speech, it's a little bit a little bit trickier. Uh, but not all speech is protected anyways. Hate speech is definitely not and things that can incite things. Um, so, so we are on the lookout for that as well. Um, we have had a couple of cases and people have filed complaints about things where they believe that brokers are uh, stepping over that line. So just be mindful of that in this environment as well. And finally, um, Adding on to a little bit to the BIC supervision is we've talked about BIC supervision of sort of provisional brokers and uh, full brokers. But what about non-licensed employees? Well, there's there's a number of businesses that may have non-licensed employees. If you're a, you know managing an apartment complex or you know you have people bringing in rents and you have administrative staff that may be setting appointments and dealing with the public, that's fine as long as they're not doing brokerage activity. But you need to make sure that they're not doing brokerage activity. Make sure you have supervision in place that that's not occurring. Um, as I mentioned earlier, broker in charge is responsible for the trust accounts. That does not mean that the broker in charge needs to do the trust accounting, right? You can hire a CPA. You can hire an accountant that may not be a broker to manage your accounts. But you, at the end of the day, as a broker in charge, are responsible for the maintenance of those accounts. So you at least need to understand and look at it every month or every week or however you want to do it to make sure that your accountants are on top of it and following commission guidelines and rules. As that said, too, you need to be very, very careful about embezzlement. Um, we've had a, a few cases um, where under the Bix nose, without them knowing, um, you know, Sally Smith was taking a little bit of money out of the account uh, every month. And after a year, you know, that ballooned to $100,000 or $30,000. Uh, and this is money that BICs have had to come in and pay out of their pocket to uh, make sure that the uh, balance is maintained in those trust accounts. Prior to joining the commission, I was a uh, criminal prosecutor in Durham County for a few years. And I actually dealt with white collar crime embezzlement and things like that. I will tell you the embezzlement cases that I've seen it was not the person who comes in driving the Ferrari that should be, you know, you know, lives in an apartment. Um, it was not those types of cases. It was the Sally Smith who had been with the company for 30 years and nobody ever thought that Sally Smith would take money. She was the most honest person in the firm. Well, but unbeknownst to them, Sally Smith's husband at some point had some health related issues and she had trouble paying for those health healthcare bills. So she dipped into the account a little bit with the intention of paying it back. But then time went on and she couldn't pay it all back. Something else happened. She took a little bit more. And the next thing you know, you have a huge um, deficit in those trust accounts. So be very, very, very careful. Don't judge a book by its cover, but you need to have those protections in place for your firm and for your trust accounts, if that's what you're dealing. Do not give everybody the keys to the kingdom, um, so to speak, without having those provisions in place. So those are some of the issues that, that we're dealing with right now. The commission, what we're seeing complaint-wise, um, those are sort of the risks in this current market. 
There's a little bit there that I've talked about, some things that the firms and the broker and chargers can do as well. Um, actually, right now, we are um, administering a number of focus groups with BICs across the state. Uh, maybe some that are listening to this are involved in that. If not, you might also be receiving a survey from us. And the commission has just tasked us with looking at our education requirements and things like that for current brokers in charge to see if there's anything that that you know get some feedback as to how that's working. Um, and I will leave you with this last thing as well. Please, 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 whether you're a BIC, whether you're a full broker, provisional broker, take the time to make sure that your email address, current email address is correct with us um, here at the commission. Because unfortunately, I know that I know everybody knows about the brown envelopes that go out if a complaint happens. Well, since really the pandemic, we we haven't been issuing a lot of brown envelopes. We've been sending emails, uh, and we're sending emails to the emails that you have on file with us. And there's been some that some people are not responding to, like they're required, and they say, "Oh, that went in my spam, or I didn't know it was coming to the email." So please make sure that your email address is correct. Um, and that you have any spam filters set so that you, you can get it from us if you need to. Happy to be here. Happy to answer any questions if you have any. We always um, are free. If you don't have any questions now, you can call our office, 919-875-3700. We have people on the phones. Happy to answer your questions. We would much rather answer your questions at the beginning than when you're trying to explain what happened at the end after a complaint is filed. So I appreciate it. If I see any in the future, you can, um, I'm happy to respond. You can also email me. My email address is fred, F-R-E-D, at N-C-R-E-C dot gov. Thank you. Be sure to catch up on every episode of NC Realtors Redefined by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or SoundCloud.